This is the FM Gold Channel of All India Radio. In the program Spotlight, we now bring you a discussion on the West Asian pivot. The participants are K.P. Fabian, former diplomat, and Nilova Roy Chaudhary, journalist. President Donald Trump ordered this strike on head of the Revolutionary Quds Force, Mr. Suleimani, in Baghdad, and that entire process, that strike, has turned the Middle East again sort of topsy-turvy in terms of the impact it is likely to have because Iran is almost definitely going to be retaliating in some way. And so the entire set of the tensions have been needlessly arisen. Ambassador Fabian, do you think that this was a wise move by President Trump of the USA? Was it necessary? And what likely impact may it have in the global context? I do not claim to sit in judgment upon the President of the United States. I was in Iran 1976-79 when the revolution mm-hmm. occurred. As the First Secretary see then that the U.S. policy towards Iran was flawed because we all believe that the relations between Iran and the United States got bad because of the revolution. That's not correct. It happened after the revolution, but not because. The reason why I'm saying is that after the revolution, Bersinski, National Secretary Advisor of President Carter, had gone to Alger, the capital of Algeria. That was the anniversary there. And he had gone there not so much to celebrate the Algerian Revolution, but to meet with Basar Ghan, the Prime Minister of Iran. And the two met. Bersinski called on him and said that, listen, we have to cooperate because against Soviet expansionism. And as regards the weapons for which the Shah had paid, you will get them soon. So let's cooperate. And Basargan agreed. But at that moment, over the radio, Basargan heard that Carter had decided to give political asylum to the Shah. And then Basargan said, give us the Shah back. Almost chanting, non-stop. And Bersinski said, nothing doing. It's a question of honor. My president has taken the decision. Well, within less than 48 hours, Basargan lost his job and the embassy was taken over. And that is how the relations got Sanctions have continued ever since, except under Obama when following the 2015 nuclear deal. Incidentally, it was a perfect deal. Intrusive inspection by the IAEA, safeguards inspectors, which would have meant that Iran cannot, I'm not suggesting that Iran was, but Iran cannot start making a bomb. But President Trump, for his own reasons, again, I don't want to judge, but reasons which have not been explained to us, he decided to walk out of an agreement, which was signed by so many, European Union, Britain. That was election campaign. Everything that Obama did was wrong for him. And he said part of his campaign that we've got a rotten deal and we'll have to get out of it. We have to get Iran to get a better deal. So that was his mindset and that is just the way the President of the United States is. I want to emphasize that this is violation of international law. When states enter into an agreement or contract or treaty, that has to be respected. And then he imposed sanctions, and that is the real genesis of the present crisis that we are witnessing. And if you look at the chronology, 27th of December, there were rocket attacks on in Kirkuk, on an airbase which Americans were using, and one contractor, an American national, was killed. A couple of others were injured. Then on the 29th, missile attack, and 25 or 27, I have heard both figures, were killed. That is Hezbollah, which means brigades of the party of God. Not to be confused with uh, the Lebanon-based Hezbollah, though both are closely 
linked with Iran. And then what happened? Then on the 31st, when there was a funeral procession, some of those who were slain, some people went over to the green zone, to which entry is very strictly controlled, but Iraqi security permitted them. And before that, Iraqi Prime Minister had said that what happened was violation of their sovereignty. Because American forces are there to train Iraqi military to fight ISIS, Islamic State. They are not supposed to undertake any military operations. So then, of course, they set fire to the reception building. All that is wrong. Yeah, I mean, right. there is no question. I mean, the right. diplomatic missions are, should not touch them, whatever grievances you may have. But then, meanwhile, President Trump has started tweeting. We are going to give it to them. Ayatollah Khamenei also had started tweeting. Oh, they can't do a thing. Then came what we have seen, that is, this drone attack, missile sent with the help of the drone. Again, to my mind, this is the first time that a political assassination has taken place through drones. So this has opened a very, what shall I say, an inflammable region has become even more. It has actually set fire on it. In yeah. fact, it can be said that United States is on war already with Iran. Now, of course, there was this big funeral comparable to the, the founder of the Islamic Republic, Ayatollah Khomeini. And now the question is, you know, on the one hand, Iran has to do something. It's a question of, quote, national honor, unquote, and all that. But on the other hand, uh, this is a dilemma they are finding themselves in. Because they are not, the leadership is not impulsive, like some others. So they will calculate. And if they believe that what they can do might help Trump get re-elected, then they may not do that. Because right. they would prefer to, you know, wait. But it's a very tricky thing. And as I said, it's inflammable and any miscalculation or misreading can cause a conflagration, be very dangerous for the region and beyond. So one of the earliest things that Iran has done is to say that now they have no more bindings to the 2015 JCPOA. So they are not legally bound in any which way they claim to not restart their nuclear program in whichever way they want to do. That having been said, what are the other options that are open to them? This other very curious statement that President Trump made about Mr. Soleimani being involved in terrorist attacks in New Delhi. I mean, I found that quite fascinating. Have you any idea what this is all about? It's difficult to figure out what exactly President Trump had in mind. We all know of there was an attack on a car used by staff member of the Israeli mission. I also know personally the person, the journalist, he's a friend of mine, apprehended for that. But I don't think they have found any evidence connecting him or Iran, for that matter, with what happened. It was perhaps, you know, trying to make out a case. Now, the point is, the case which President Trump has been trying to make out in the United States, the Congress, especially the Speaker Pelosi, finds it very difficult to agree. Because what they are saying is that if you have got evidence, give it to us. Problem is that what he has sent to the Congress is classified. So they can't talk about it in the open. But they have said it in plain English. It is not convincing. In fact, she is going to move resolution that to curtail the powers of the president for authorizing war and hmm. all that. So let me put it this way. Whether President Trump is right or not, in the United States, there is a question of credibility. And many are not taking his statements as true. Fortunately, I think he has a bit of a history which is probably why there is this level of lack of credibility in what he's saying. The attack on General Soleimani was also preceded by an 
almost unprecedented increase in the number of troops being stationed in American troops being stationed in Spain and so on. So overall impression seems to be that the United States is sort of hungering for some kind of a military engagement which might allow the public to get over the disappointments of not having something in Afghanistan or the North Korean whole project with Kim Jong-il falling flat. And now, in fact, Kim is actually threatening the United States again. Do you think be a possible motivation? Why would this suddenly sort of have to happen? I think we have to make a distinction what is good for President Trump's re-election and what is good for the United States. And in his mind... The first prevails over the second. Only thing is that he might not be making the right decision because a Pew Research Opinion Poll, they found that about 24% of the Americans do not mind a foreign military engagement, but about 50% oppose it. Because to my mind, should there be a conflagration, Iran will suffer in a big way, but Trump also will get it because if the price of oil goes up, if Hormuz, the Strait of Hormuz passage of the tankers is interfered with, there will be such chaos that President Trump is not going to get re-elected. That is only personal suffering. The suffering in Iran will be of millions of human beings. Not getting killed, but I said suffering. Sure, that's going to be immeasurable kind of mm. suffering and not just in Iran, but I think across the entire region. We would also be hugely affected by that because all of our, or at least the vast majority of our imports, oil and petroleum and on which we are so dependent, come from that particular area. Ambassador Fabian, what do you think the impact of this decision that some are saying trying to be a diversion from President Trump's own impeachment process, but what would be the likely impact on India-Iran relations at this point of time? Would there be any? I am a little worried because when United States asked us to not buy, stop buying oil from Iran and we sort of complied with it, I personally have a different approach. I wish we had taken a different line. I wish we had told the United States diplomatically, not in public. We are good friends. You know how much it matters to us. And some of our refineries are attuned to Iranian oil. So if we don't get it from Iran, it will cost us X million dollars a month. Would you reimburse it to us? If not, let's do one thing. Because we are good friends and we respect you, we will reduce our import. But that's all. But we can't sort of stop it. Or we could have taken another line. Listen, if you want us to go through the charade of sanction of waivers, you gave us the waivers, we will accept it. But please realize we are not asking for waivers because it's our right to import what we want. And please, let us not forget that uh, from you we import more arms than most others. Why do you think we didn't do that? Well, that is the mentality of both the civil service and probably above. In my discussions with my friends in service and out of service, I found hardly anyone able to question the validity of American sanctions. In fact, it's a strange world, you know. I was at Doha Forum two weeks ago and there was president of the Wilson Center. Woodrow Wilson Center. I raised the question. My question was this uh, unipolarity, because we were discussing governance in a multipolar world. I said there is an elephant in the room, unipolarity in the financial world. Now, my question is, good for the United States? Is it good for the rest of the world? If not, what are we going to do about it? My question was sidestep. 
We also have another very major relationship with Iran that depends on the strategic aspect of it, particularly Chabahar being a part of that. The United States has supposedly provided a waiver to us to carry on with work in Chabahar. In the event of some kind of a conflagration or some kind of problems, more hostilities erupting, shall we say, do you think that this Chabahar project would be under severe threat? And if so, our whole security aspects with Afghanistan also get directly affected, would they not? Let me put it this way. What I have been told, and I'll be glad to be proved wrong, the Chabahar project has been going at a very slow pace. You mentioned about the waivers and all that, but work is not progressing there. It's a question of connectivity with Afghanistan and connectivity with Central Asia, and we need that connectivity very badly, and we have big projects, you know, transport connectivity. So if we can't do that, then others might step in. China can step in. Don't forget. For us, Chabahar is important. It's sad to see the slow progress. We've signed various agreements with the United States, Lamoa being the most likely to be used in the event of any hostility. Would that really hit our ties with Iran, do you think, if the United States imposed it? I'll put it this way. Iranians, they play chess very well. Chess went from India through Iran to the West. And they're an old civilization. And diplomacy consists in the ability to dance with more than one partner at a time. To an extent, Iran understands that India has many good reasons to get closer and closer to the United States. So that I don't think is something which will matter much to them. But at the same time, they would expect India to sort of take note of the importance of Indo-Iranian relations and modulate the relationship with the United States. Thank you very much indeed, Ambassador Fabian. My pleasure. You were listening to a discussion on the West Asian pivot. The participants were K.P. Fabian, former diplomat and Ilova Roy Chaudhary, journalist. This program was produced and presented by the News Services Division of All India Radio. This program is also available on our website, newsonair.com. You can also follow us on the News on AIR app for updates. You may email your opinion about this program at airnsdtalks at gmail.com.